Christmas with GK. Christmas with a man who was larger than life. Christmas thoughts and writings that will urge you and me to enter into this observance with childlike wonder. Today on Chris Fabry Live, Ryan Whitaker Smith leads us by the hand into the mind, the wit, the wisdom of G.K. Chesterton to partake of winter fire. Oh, this is going to be a good conversation to warm your heart today. Curl up by the radio with a warm drink and enjoy the conversation about to ensue. Let's get started. Our website where you can find out all about us is chrisfabrylive.org. Our program is recorded today, which happens to be a Friday. And since it's Friday, that's right, it's time for the fabulous Fabry Friday Sigh. Here's what it does. One, we oxygenate your blood. Two, we get your endorphins going. Three, we raise your serotonin level. Four, we promote lymphatic drainage. And five, we stimulate your parasympathetic system. That's why we call it the five love languages. It also stimulates your vagus nerve. We help you release acetylcholine. And don't forget what it does to cortisol dissipation. Take in four seconds of air through your nose right now. Hold it four seconds. And then as you release that air through your mouth, push on the left side of your rib cage to get rid of all that bad carbon dioxide. Today we give a sigh for Gilbert Keith Chesterton, born in May of 1874. He lived until June of 1936. And between the dash... He spoke and wrote a lot that I have not been able to read. Chesterton is my white whale. I have not been able to understand the mind of this man who is hailed as one of the greatest and most prolific writers of the 20th century. But today we're going to remedy that with a conversation about Chesterton's philosophy of Christmas, his view of the holiday that he wrote about during his lifetime. So enjoy a Chesterton sigh today. And remember, the fabulous Fabry Friday size public service of this station, Moody Radio, and your fans at the Radio Backyard Fence. <laughs> All rights reserved. Void where prohibited. Can I say a thank you before we begin? Throughout this past year, I have been privy to the generosity of listeners who have seen this daily get-together as something more than merely a live radio program or a podcast that you download and listen to later. Something happens here in the exchange of ideas and struggles and life events, and our hearts intersect and change happens. And in December, there has been a sense of gratitude, not just for the tangible things that happen here, but the intangible, the slow, incremental changes, the process of living a life that depends fully on the mercy and the grace of God and allowing Him to move us, to guide us, So I want to thank you for your support of what we do. And if you want to reach out today, there are two ways to do that. You can go to the website. You'll see how to become a friend or a partner right there. And what we'd like to send you, go to chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org, or call 866-95-FABRY, 866-953-2279. I love seeing the messages that you leave when you give a gift. Thank you for your encouragement. And thank you for being a friend or a partner with us at the Radio Backyard Fence. Again, go to chrisfabrylive.org. Ryan Whitaker Smith is an author and filmmaker from Nashville, Tennessee. His film projects include Surprised by Oxford, based on the award-winning memoir of Carolyn Weber, the Lionsgate documentary, The Jesus Music, and a forthcoming adaptation of G.K. Chesterton's comic adventure, The Ball and the Cross. 
He's co-author with Dan Wilt of Sheltering Mercy and Endless Grace, two collections of prayers inspired by the Psalms. Today, I'm commending to you a gorgeous devotional titled Winter Fire, Christmas with G.K. Chesterton. I've been spending my mornings going through it, and it is leading me page by page toward the heart of this great writer. Ryan, welcome to the conversation. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Before we get to Gilbert Keith, tell me about Ryan. Where are you as we record this conversation? Well, I happen to be at the moment in Budapest, Hungary, of all places. I've been here since June, working on a TV series uh, called The Pendragon Cycle, based on the novels by Stephen R. Lawhead. So I've I've been on a wild adventure for the last several months, and um, but I've come to love come to love beautiful Budapest. So when you say you've been working on this, what does that mean? It, it, it was, was it already scripted when you got there and you're mapping everything out from the cinematography to production and all of that? What, what, what does that mean? I'm, I'm one of the writers and directors uh, and executive producers on the show. So I'm working with The Daily Wire on the show. This is their first big sort of live action scripted series. And it's a, a big fantasy series. Yes. So it's been a lot of fun to, you know, to make something uh, at this scale. Although I've learned that I really don't like working with horses. Um, that's <laughs> why. So, why no horses? <laughs> well, you know, they say don't work with kids and animals. And uh, there's a reason for that. Uh, but it's uh, everything's very slow when you're when you're doing these uh, big, elaborate, you know, set pieces with horses and battles and things like that. But but at the same time, that's very fun because I grew up wanting to you know make that kind of stuff. So um, so it's been it's been an adventure for sure. So your brain is totally on your craft right now. And here I am talking about G.K. Chesterton. But my guess is you're going to be able to slip right in there because Chesterton has made a big impression on you, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think he is, he's certainly one of my favorite authors and maybe in my top three favorite authors. But uh, yeah, his work has, has, has meant an awful lot to me. I discovered him when I was in high school and uh, began reading his work. And he's, he's a gift that keeps on giving because he wrote so much that it's, it's um, not impossible to read everything that he wrote, but it feels like it's near impossible because it just, I just keep discovering more and more quite, quite uh, impressive. And what I will say to you is my hope for this book and, and for the conversation we're about to have is that it will be this will be a gateway reading ad- adventure for people who have never been able see because uh, I mentioned this just before you came on that Chesterton to me has been my white whale I've just never been able to finish <laughs> orthodoxy I've tried it several times and just haven't been able to get over the hump but now going through this devotional and having little snippets of him it's like oh I'm I'm understanding a little bit more so my hope is that people will uh, get into Chesterton as they read this and then want more that's my hope it probably is yours as well but I have to ask you before we get get to Chesterton I have to ask you more about yourself. Tell me more about Ryan then. You said you you met him in high school. You are uh you were born in 83, so now people can do the math. Tell me about your your life. <laughs> well, 
Uh, yes, I was born in '83. I, I I turned 40 two days before we started on this project here in uh, in Hungary. Um, no, I, I I grew up sort of infatuated with storytelling and art, and I, I wanted to be an animator when I was a kid. I was kind of the, the the perfect age for that renaissance of Disney animation in the late '80s, early '90s, and I just drew all the time. And then then I started making movies with um, you know with the the home camcorder. I destroyed a bunch of home camcorders trying to do elaborate stunts putting you know cameras underwater and that sort of thing and uh i I don't know i just sort of fell in love with filmmaking i mean i I always loved movies um but but i also always loved the written word and so the the writing uh the writing side of it always went hand in hand for me with with directing and so i was always writing my own scripts even as a kid and eventually just started to pursue that professionally uh out of uh out of high school just sort of started my own production company and started trying to make started trying to make movies and it took me a while i made my made my first feature film in 2012 just a little indie uh indie sort of sci-fi fantasy thriller called after and made it for under a million dollars quite a bit under seven hundred thousand dollars something like that and um uh we like to say uh, uh, that the, me and my producing partner on that film like to say it was it was uh, more lessons learned than dollars earned on, the, on that production, <laughs> but um, it was certainly a, a great experience. Um, and then it took me, you know, almost ten years uh, to make my second film, which was Surprised by Oxford, based on the memoir by Carolyn Weber, and that was uh, a project that uh, I say it took me ten years, but I started working on it five years before the film was made. So. You know these things take a lot of time, but but again, I always love the written word too. And I I, I don't know. I, I I never I never thought I would write a book. I sort of fell fell into it. Uh, my friend Dan Wilt and I sort of started writing these prayers based on the Psalms, and it was kind of something that we were just doing in our own private devotion time and and sharing with each other. And uh, and I shared sort of a sample of those that we put together with, with Carolyn, actually Carolyn Weber. And she really loved what we had done and passed it on to some publisher friends. And all of a sudden we had a, you know, a, an offer to write two of these, these books, um, uh, sheltering mercy and endless grace. So that was a very rewarding, challenging, um, experience writing those books. Um, and then the Chesterton book, was one that I'd sort of dreamed about for a while, but I, I kind of never thought anybody would let me do it. Honestly. <laughs> I am so glad they did. I'm so glad because it's gorgeous to, you know, to look at and the design of the cover and then the illustrations on the inside. But the, the art is not, the art does not eclipse the written word and the way that you have processed Chesterton. So we're going to get into it in our next segment with Ryan Whitaker-Smith, Winter Fire, Christmas with G.K. Chesterton. That's our featured resource. If you go to the website, chrisfabrylive.org, click through today's information. You'll see it right there at chrisfabrylive.org. More with Ryan straight ahead on Moody Radio.
This is Chris Fabry live on Moody Radio. Thanks a lot for tuning in today for a conversation with my new friend, Ryan Whitaker Smith. You can find out more about him and the things that he's worked on. We're catching up with him today as we record this in Hungary near Budapest. Winter Fire is our featured resource. We're going to talk about G.K. Chesterton. Subtitle is Christmas with G.K. Chesterton. One other personal question uh, for you, though, Ryan. Of married, do you have children? Yes, married with four children. My my oldest just turned sixteen. She's driving, which is uh, both liberating and terrifying for me. <laughs> scary. Yeah, it's very scary. Yeah, yeah. And the other the other personal question. I said one question, two questions. The other is Whitaker. Your middle name is Whitaker, and you share that with your father, Michael W. Smith. Uh, that is true. So, so that tell is, me that about, is what the W stands for. That is that is true. Who is the Whitaker in in your family? Whitaker is a family name um, from his side of the family. That it was his his dad's middle name, and um, and goes back quite a ways and I should know the whole story but I don't um, but it was just a, a name that that uh yeah that that came from his side of the family one day you'll tell it see I you don't know this but I grew up just down the railroad tracks from your dad cuz he he was born oh, in right? Can, yeah in Canova Canova and yeah. um then I was born you know a few miles from there so I followed his trajectory and it makes sense to me that somebody so talented in music would give birth to somebody so artistic with words and with film. You really did. Did you kind of draw on some of that from your dad and your mom? Well, I guess so. I mean, I think our 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 home was a very creative home, uh, and all of my siblings were sort of have the a, a creative bent in one direction or another. And that was um, encouraged, you know. I mean, you, you certainly hear stories about people who are very creative, and it was discouraged in, you know, in their home. But that was it was the opposite for me. Um, it was sort of, you know, what whatever you're into, you should you should pursue. It, uh, so I think the whole idea of um, being a, a creative professional was um, something that was not unusual, you know, that concept. So, um, so I, yeah, I. I, I certainly see a correlation there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into Christmas with Chesterton. You said that you met him when you were in high school. So it sounds like you were really smart from early on. If, you know, I'm in my 60s now <laughs> well, and, and I haven't been able to get over the hump. So so was it was it his wit, his wisdom, his intellect? What drew you to him? Well, you know, he can be a bit of an acquired taste. I will say that. And... Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it was actually his fiction initially uh, that I read first, and maybe that was a, a, a better, you know, introduction, um, for the age that I was at. I read it uh, in in high school. I went to a small Christian classical school and, uh, and his novel, The Man Who Was Thursday was assigned, um, by, um, my English teacher and, I think I sort of breezed through the book. I mean, looking back, I don't even know if I read the whole thing, which I'm a little ashamed to say. But later, uh, I later I, at some point I picked up a copy of his Father Brown stories. Father Brown is probably his, his, is uh, is what he's most you know no, known for in the wider world. Uh, there's there's a, a long running BBC series based on that character that's still going. 
And I at some point bought sort of an anthology of all those stories and collected dust on my shelf for a while. And at some point I picked it up and I thought, I'll just read one of these. And, and that was, that was really my introduction to Chesterton was reading those stories. And I just sort of fell in love with not just, not just his writing, which is, which is, you know, very sort of whimsical and witty, but the fact that there was a a real wisdom that was, you know, being imparted through those stories. And so I, I don't know. I just, that, that was, um, that led me to, you know, to read a bunch of his other, his other works. And, and, um, so I did go read orthodoxy and I read the everlasting man and, um, and, and continued to read his fiction, uh, things like man alive and, and the ball and the cross. And so, you know, again, like I said, he's a gift that keeps on giving cause he wrote so much, but he, but he can be an acquired taste because his writing, um, can be a little dense and he can be a little circuitous in his, his reasoning. And, um, but I think the more you read him, the more you find that charming, um, rather than off-putting because it is, it is, it's him, it's Chesterton. And, and he's so singular in his voice. Yes. So give me a, a flyover of his life. You told me a little bit about your life. This is a fellow who lived from 1874 to 1936. He was not just writing about spiritual things, you know, religious things, he was writing about everything. As I found out one thing about him was that he, the war to end all wars, World War One. his prediction was this is not going to end all wars. In fact, he thought that this would lead to something that would even be worse than what they were going through. And he turned out to be right. Um, very tall, big, large, 400 pounds. Tell me more <laughs> about him yes. as, a, as a person. Yeah, I mean, he was, uh, you mentioned his weight. I mean, he was a larger than life figure, you know, in more ways than one. Um, but uh, incredibly prolific writer. Uh, you know, he was, a, a, I talk about it in the introduction to the book, but he was not just a novelist, he was a journalist, he was a historian, he was a, a, a playwright, a lay theologian, um, a Christian apologist. He just, he wrote, um, it seems like he wrote about every subject, you know, that you could possibly imagine writing about. And, you know, if you look at just the, just the, his newspaper essays that he published in his, in his life, um, it's just it's kind of staggering how much he wrote. And that doesn't even include, include the published works, you know? Um, but he, um, yeah, I mean, he was known for his wit. Um, but the wit is always sort of married to his wisdom. And I think that's, what's so interesting about him is that he, um, he didn't take himself too seriously. And I think that's why it's, it's fun. So fun to read him, especially his writings about Christmas, um, which are just kind of joyous. You can kind of sense, sense his joy as he's writing about it. Yes. I can see his eyes twinkling as he talks about this because it's, you know, the, the magical, the incomprehensibility of what happened then, you know, it just kind of comes through as he's writing. Yeah, Absolutely. And, um, I mean, you mentioned f- finding orthodoxy a little hard to get through. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's a very quotable author out of context. And I think that's maybe why, you know, a collection like this, that's taking sort of his quotes out of, not out of context, but, um, in terms of meaning, but you know what I mean? Literally out of context and, and, and reading them sort of on their own 
um, might be, you know, a better introduction for some people to his writing um, because it's maybe a little more palatable um, as, as an, as an introductory, you know, sample of his, his, his writing and his thought. Um, but yeah, certainly, certainly his, his writing about Christmas and not just his, not just his essays about Christmas or his references to Christmas in the everlasting man or other books that he wrote, but his, his poems and his short stories and, and all of the things that he wrote, uh, you know, in, in relation to Christmas are just, uh, I just find them incredibly, uh, delightful and charming. Where does the title winter fire come from? Winter fire comes from a quote in the book. Um, the quote is Christ is not a, not merely a summer sun of the prosperous, but a winter fire for the unfortunate. And I, I love that quote. It's quoted in the book. And I just loved the image of this, this, this image of a winter fire, um, you know, kind of burning in, in the midst of the frost of winter. And that it seemed like it sort of summed up some of the, you know, the thematic content of the book. Yes, it really does. And it, and it has this, you know, there's, it's almost like a, a plate of a picture of him. It's not even a picture of him. It's just the image with his hair going everywhere and he's sitting reading a book. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's the same way that you and I would, would read a book beside the fireside. That's what I hope comes from the conversation today. Again, the book is Winter Fire, Christmas with G.K. Chesterton. Ryan Whitaker Smith is with us today. Let's get into a little bit of the, let's just read a little bit of what Chesterton said. And there's so many places that I, and I'm kind of halfway through, but there's so many places where I've underlined um, in this, this is day five, in celebration of the utter unsuitability of Christmas to the modern world, you write about uh, him, Christmas is gloriously out of step with the times, for it outlasts the times. It champions obscurity over visibility, humility over hubris, divine mercy over human effort. Today, let us raise our glasses and our voices and our trees and our stockings in honor of the glorious unsuitability of Christmas. Let us savor the sheer irrationality of it. Shout with joy at the blatant absurdity of it. Like all that is of God, it is a blasphemy to the narcissist, an insult to the hedonist, a farce to the self-reliant and self-consumed. Hallelujah. What are you getting at there? <laughs> well, you know, uh, I in all of these readings, there are 30 of these readings in the book, um, and they all start with a quote by Chesterton, and then just me sort of riffing, <laughs> I guess, on the quote. Um, I, you know, I, I think it just gets to the heart of the Christmas story, which, which is absurd. Um, it's the foolishness of God, right? It's that concept. And, um, but it's something that we can take comfort in uh, and we can rejoice in. Um, and it is all of those things uh, that you just read. And I think, you know, Chesterton was so good at um, elaborating on that. And that, um, that particular uh, reading in day five 
comes from a quote where Chesterton is talking about how Christmas is unsuited to the great future that is now opening before us. And he talks about, um, he says, rooted in the past and even the remote past, it cannot assist a world in which the ignorance of history is the only clear evidence of the knowledge of science. Born among miracles reported from 2,000 years ago, it cannot expect to impress that sturdy common sense which can withstand the plainest and most palpable evidence for miracles happening at this moment. And that's sort of classic Chesterton. Um, so, I uh, yeah, I quite, I quite like that one. I'm, I'm glad you chose that uh, to, to read from. That was a fun one for me. Well, riffing is exactly what you do, and you use his words again. As a matter of fact, at the end of that um, the, the little devotion that you have, thoughts about it, you say, Christmas is utterly unsuitable to the modern world, which makes it utterly indispensable to the church. And so after each of the readings, then there's a scripture reading for reflection. And then you ask questions to lead the reader a little bit further in. Uh, And one of the questions on that day is, how might you resist the commercialization of Christmas this year? So that you you don't you don't only engage with Chesterton on an intellectual or philosophical or even a biblical level, then you go to the all right. How am I going to practically live this out? So you can tell why I'm I'm enamored with Ryan Whitaker Smith's book Winterfire Christmas with G.K. Chesterton. It's our featured resource at the website chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. If you go there, click through to today. Today's information, you'll you'll see more about that right there. There is more to come about G.K. Chesterton, and we'll do that with Ryan Whitaker-Smith straight ahead on Moody Radio. This is Chris Fabry live on Moody Radio. We'll get right back to G.K. Chesterton in just a moment. I've been telling you about CareNet over the last few months and the, the great work that they do, this pro-abundant life ministry of 1,200, a network of 1,200 centers around the country where people are not just in the business of saving babies' lives, which is a great thing to do. Since 2008, something like a million babies have been saved through the ministry of CareNet and the folks who work there, really the heroes there. But also, they are not just pro-abundant life, they are a gospel-infused ministry, and they are committed to making disciples of those, life disciples of the people who come to them, Uh, the women and the men who are struggling with a crisis pregnancy who don't have a relationship with God, and they find out about it. Churches come alongside them. If you go to chrisfabrylive.org, click the green CareNet button, then you can find out more about that gospel-infused ministry. chrisfabrylive.org, click the green CareNet button today, and you'll find out more about Ryan Whitaker Smith's book, Winter Fire, Christmas with G.K. Chesterton. Since he wrote so much, Ryan, about issues of the day, and again, from the 1870s to 1930s is when he lived, abortion wasn't the issue then that it was today. Did he write anything? Is there any quote of him about this issue? It wasn't the issue of the day, but I think he probably 
saw saw it coming. I mean, he he was incredibly prescient in in in, in his writing and in his his thinking. There is a quote where um, there is a quote I love where he says, "The most unfathomable schools and sages have never attained to the gravity which dwells in the eyes of a baby." Wow. And he was certainly, you know, he he wrote often about the sanctity of human life and. Um, I was reminded also of a poem that he wrote um, about an unborn child, and the uh, it's actually called "The Babe Unborn," and it ends with the line, "They should not hear a word from me of selfishness or scorn. If only I could find the door. If only if I if only I were born." Um, so he didn't, you know, he didn't write about it specifically in the way that we think of it today, but you know, certainly his 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 writing touches on it in in different ways. And I found that with Chesterton, he's he has something to say about almost anything <laughs> that you yes. could possibly imagine <laughs> if you if you look hard enough. You know, the other thing I love about this book is the the whimsical nature of him. And thank you for those those quotes, kind of off the cuff about uh, abortion and and life. Um, but he had this ability. I th- I read somewhere that he had parties and he would have you know literary figures come in along with you know just friends that nobody knew and they would dress up and they would have to do they would have to put on a play or a skit or you know act out something. He loved to play, didn't he? He did. He did, which is very funny to imagine at his size. You know him him uh, him engaging in that kind of play. But yeah, I mean, and he, he and his he and his wife would put on plays for the neighborhood children too at their, at their home. Um, but he really was, he was kind of just a big child in a lot of ways. And he sort of always, always maintained that childlike wonder, you know, and you certainly, certainly see that in his writings about Christmas. You've included games that they may have played at that time as well. Talk about the, the games and even <laughs> games, there's an well, appendix where we can play these in our homes, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, my my vision for this book was I really wanted it to be kind of as quirky as Chesterton himself. I wanted to include a lot of sort of fun content beyond just the the devotional readings. And so, and even in my proposal for the book, I included illustrations because I thought it'd be really fun to include these sort of Victorian era illustrations. And, um, but yeah, he, uh, and recipes as well. There are recipes in the book, kind of traditional English Christmas recipes. Yeah, the games, um, games and traditions section in the book has uh, has some sort of traditional English parlor games uh, that 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 people would play uh, in in Chesterton's time, uh, including uh, a game called um, Squeak Piggy Squeak. You know, where you one uh, one player pretends to be. Uh, uh, or several players pretend to be pigs and they squeak. And I mean, there's, there's all kinds of crazy, you know, sort of parlor games. Uh, yeah. So you blindfold the person and, and they have to figure out who the pig is that's squeaking. Is that what it is? That, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> the other thing that I love is, you know, since he was a man of words, it, it makes sense. You, you include this fictionary and I've done this, myself with my family, but it, I didn't know that they would have done that a hundred years ago and more 
four players minimum, items needed, dictionary, paper, pens, or pencils. In each round, one player will be the judge. The judge reads an obscure word from the dictionary. The other players write down their made-up definitions of the word. The judge reads all the definitions, including the real one, and players vote on which they believe is correct. Points are awarded by votes and for guessing the correct answer. That's just... That's just pure fun. And then, and what happens is you see the creativity and you see how many people guess the wrong one and where it came from, right? Yeah, ab- absolutely. In fact, my, my sister said that they uh, were reading the book with their kids and they just tried, they just played that game the other night. They had, they had fun with it. Maybe my, maybe my favorite that we don't actually include real instructions for, um, <laughs> Uh, is Snapdragon, which was a game where um, people would put a bunch of raisins or fruit into a bowl and douse it in some kind of uh, spirit uh, and light it on fire and then attempt to pluck the fruit out of the flames, which yeah. sounds like a very dangerous affair, uh, which I, 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 in an early draft, did have that in as one of the games in the and. And uh, my editor said, I don't know that we want to uh, encourage people <laughs> yes. to do this. So we, we included sort of a, a little uh, a little backstory on it without without the official instructions. But I always thought that one was funny. Do it your own peril. Because you'd see this That's on right. YouTube. And, I, you know, I learned this from this, but no, you don't want to learn this from that book. But you, you're right. And it just – but again, it just shows the whimsical nature of Chesterton himself and that you've kind of – channeled that in the book with all of the the scriptural readings as well as the quotations by Chesterton or from Chesterton himself. And I've gone through this, you know, the the first half of the book, and I've underlined so many different, uh, uh, different places. You say, Chesterton touches on a great irony. This is day six. Chesterton touches on a great irony at the heart of the gospel. How can one reach maturity while maintaining childlikeness? How can one grow tall in grace while short in cynicism? How can one put away childish things and yet retain the faith of a child? Talk about that. Well, I think that's what we were talking about, you know, is that Chesterton really, you know, uh, personified that, that sort of, that childlike wonder uh, that, that, that he maintained into adulthood. And I think he had that same sort of childlike spirit, um, you know, in in uh, his view of faith and his view of the church and of the gospel. I think was was still sort of filtered through this 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 sense of wonder, the sense of childlike wonder, and you see it all throughout his uh, his his writing. Um, but that that particular reading is based on a quote where he talks about. Um, his decision to just remain silly <laughs> as an adult um, and how he enjoys Christmas more as an adult than he did as a child. And, um, and I, I think that's kind of amazing. Uh, yes. Let me read that because this is from the illustrated London news. This was written in 1913. Chesterton writes, most sensible people say that adults cannot be expected to appreciate Christmas as much as children appreciate it. But I am not sure that even sensible people are always right. And this has been my principal reason for deciding to be silly 
a decision that is now irrevocable. It may be because I am silly, but I rather think that relatively to the rest of the year, I enjoy Christmas more than I did when I was a child. Yeah, in that in that same reading, um, I quote one of one of the most quoted sections of Orthodoxy, probably uh, overquoted, but where he uh, he talks about monotony and how God is strong enough to exult in monotony, and he says it is possible that God says every morning, "Do it again to the sun," and every evening, "Do it again to the moon." It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Um, and you know, I, th- I think he, I think Chesterton always, um, I mean, for someone as brilliant as him, he was always very careful not to be um, a narcissist, not to be overconfident. Um, kind of rely on his own intelligence, but sort of maintain this this childlikeness. And there's a there's a great poem that's in the book called The Wise Men, and uh, that's really about that that very thing, um, in which he he talks about these learned men who peer and pore on tortured puzzles and are well versed in labyrinthine lore, and who know all things but the truth. So that was that was certainly you know, a theme that he wrote about a lot. Yes. The idea of pride. Pride and then getting out of God's way to do what he wants. The other thing that you have to understand about Chesterton is what an influence he had, not only on Ryan Whittaker Smith, but the great writers of his day. So let me take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about that. If you go to the website, chrisfabrylive.org, you'll see Winter Fire. Christmas with G.K. Chesterton. It's our featured resource by Ryan Whitaker smith Go to chrisfabrylive.org. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. Ryan Whitaker smith is joining us at the Radio Backyard Fence from Hungary. Uh, we're recording this ahead of time, and uh, he's in Budapest, Working on a project has been there for a number of months, but he's put together Winter Fire Christmas with G.K. Chesterton, and I am really enjoying it. I wanted you to hear more about that. Uh, Just before the break, I mentioned, Ryan, what an effect he had on other writers and thinkers that we hold high today. Uh, You can't read anything by C.S. Lewis and not hear echoes of Chesterton. You can't read Tolkien. You can't read Dorothy Sayers and others. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, yes, yes, for sure. I mean, they weren't contemporaries, but he certainly had a a, a huge influence on all the writers you just mentioned. And, you know, C.S. Lewis specifically, you know, said that uh, The Everlasting Man uh, baptized his intellect is what he said about that book. And so, yeah, in, in incredible influence. Um, and I mean, to this day, you know, and his, um, his words, you know, I think still are still incredibly relevant and in some ways feel like they could have been written yesterday. 
Yes. And that's the that's the genius when you can be locked in space and time, you know, a certain Victorian era, which he was. I mean, D.L. Moody died in 1899. So Chesterton would have been in his 20s, early to mid 20s when Moody died. And Moody had a big effect on on England, I know. Um, but to, to think, you know, that's that's where he's growing up, becoming formative, beginning to write. But to be able to read him today that in our age is a real gift, and it shows the, the gold of his words, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he it's, – it's interesting because he also – I mentioned this in the introduction, but he, he he converted to Catholicism later in his life, and he sort of thought of today as a Catholic writer, although he spent you know a, a large percent of his, percentage of his life not as a Catholic. But um, but he is one of those sort of rare if we want to if we want to categorize him as a Catholic writer, he's one of those rare Catholic writers that sort of enjoys kind of broad readership across um, all denominations, all faith traditions, and yes. people evangelicals and Catholics alike, uh, love him. So he is, he's, uh, yeah, cer- certainly a tremendous amount of influence. I was interested in that. And, and I just looked up a, f- a few things, you know, why I think he was in the church of England and then went toward Roman Catholicism. And one writer said that the perspective was that he wanted something that w- wouldn't be changed by modernity and that Catholicism felt like to him the thing that would not change the most of everything that was changing in that era. Do you agree with that? Well, that's interesting. I don't. I mean, I, I could certainly see that. I mean, because he is he is someone who who deeply valued tradition and um, was deeply skeptical of the modern world and sort of the the, the march of progress. Um, so I, I could see that making sense for sure. No, you know, knowing, uh, knowing who he was and, and what he, what he wrote about. Um, I think also, um, he was someone who there's something about the, uh, maybe the otherness of the liturgies of the, of the worship that would appeal to him. And he, he talks about how, I mean, he talks a lot about, the 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 world being an enchanted place and so i could see potentially a connection there sort of in his mind yes so tell me as you read this as we come to the end here how does reading chesterton today inspire us to approach christmas differently or more meaningfully how would you answer that well i think ultimately um, the, you know, he points us back to the, the true meaning of Christmas, but I think specifically he challenges a lot of modern, uh, a lot of our modern conceptions of Christmas. Um, and, and one example of that would be just the, the very way that we tend to celebrate Christmas in, in the modern world. And, um, I, I talk about this early in the book, but, uh, one of the first readings is a, a a warning to those in danger of celebrating Christmas prematurely. Um, and I know it's it's kind of become a joke now that, you know, as soon as Thanksgiving's over, you know, you put up your Christmas decorations. That would have horrified Chesterton, um, who was insistent that uh, 
you know, that we, that we uh, honor and observe Advent as its own season leading into Christmas. And so ad, Advent being, you know, r- roughly the month leading up to Christmas Day, and then Christmas being 12 days of celebration, not just one day. Um, and it just seems incredibly foreign to us, but that, that is the traditional way that the church observed Advent and Christmas. Um, so that's just one example of how he sort of challenges things that just seem so, uh, so, so normal to us in the modern world. We, you know, we put up our Christmas decorations early. We celebrate Christmas for a month. And the day after December 25th, we take them down and we move on to the new year. Right. Yes. Um, so Chesterton uh, would, would, would be very angry with us for that. Well, you know, and Ryan, he was seeing it in his own day too. Yes. I struggle with that with, even with uh, Trisha and I've talked about this, you know, what do we do on the day after Christmas? It's uh, you know, certain day of the week and what do we do with the rest of the, well, we're, we're going to do best of programs from the rest of the week because people by then are, you know, they're tired of the Christmas music and they're tired of this. It's like, no, let's keep that celebration going. Uh, that's what Chesterton would say to us. And another, before we end here, I've got to read this because you quote Chesterton as saying it is to long pedigrees of peasants that we owe the survival of nearly all the jokes and games that occupy children and the wiser adults in any middle-class house at Christmas. It is a mere fact of English history that the idea of a Merry Christmas was maintained much more faithfully by the ragged carol singers than it was by the merry gentlemen to whom they sang their carols which harkens to me back to Bob Cratchit, you know, it was Scrooge was so yeah, miserly, course, yeah. you know, and it was Bob Absolutely. with little tiny Tim and everything. So, so that was on Chesterton's mind. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, again, that's, uh, that's classic Chesterton, you know, to make that observation. Um, but he, he certainly was someone who cared deeply for, for the common man, you know, and the people that might be overlooked yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that in in relation to uh, to uh, Bob Cratchit, but that's uh, that's absolutely right. It's such a great and it's a, it's a very deep book. What Ryan has written is is deep, and then the quotes of Chesterton speak for themselves. There's one here. You say Chesterton reminds us that evil lurks in the background of a familiar nativity scenes. There is an enemy there. Uh, it is not just that Christ came into the world to offer salvation, to atone for our sins, to welcome us into the family of God. He came to vanquish evil, scatter darkness, defeat death. Uh, Ryan, I can't thank you enough for doing this, and I hope you'll write more and talk more and make more movies and make more art and uh, come back and see us again. Thank you for putting this together. and spending the time with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. That's Ryan Whitaker Smith. You'll find his book, Winter Fire, Christmas with G.K. Chesterton at the website, chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. Thanks for listening and uh, hope you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Come on back with us next week for some more programs here on Chris Fabry Live, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.